It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. And welcome into the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. It is a Friday afternoon. Rob Francis here, Ed Dawson, taking a break, three-day weekend for Ed, well-deserved. Joining me on the line right now, our good friend from the Washington Policy Center, Jason Mercier. And Jason, I know you called in today, you didn't want to talk about politics, you didn't want to talk about the legislative session, didn't want to give people bad news, so we're going to talk about the possibility of Deshaun Watson becoming a San Francisco 49er, right? I appreciate it, Rob. And you know what? My feelings are hurt. Ed knows I'm going to come on and share this good news, and he takes a three-day weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's where you are, Idaho. <laughs> now, Jason's calling us from Idaho today, by the way. So <laughs> Disclaimer, I am in the Tri-Cities. You know, Idaho is becoming tempting. Yeah, I know. Really, it's becoming incredibly tempting because everything that we are uh, – you know, it was it was there was a badge of honor for so long in Olympia, Jason, that that Washington State did not resemble Washington D.C. And eight years ago, the resembling of Washington D.C. began when when Jay Inslee brought that toxicity to the state capitol and began to act in a manner that politicians in D.C. acted in Olympia. Um, he, he ran off a number of long-term, long-standing, well-respected um, public servants who decided they no longer wanted to be a part of what he was building. And now we are seeing not just the culture, we are basically seeing copycat behavior in Olympia from D.C., and it starts with wanting to get rid of a two-thirds majority vote. Talk to us a little bit about House Bill 1067, how this came about, and why all of a sudden now, um, is it because Democrats can't get a supermajority, or do they just think that because they can, they want to? So what we're talking about is currently the House is in what they call caucus. They're trying to round up votes for an amendment that they're going to introduce for their rules. And these are the rules that govern the proceedings of how committee hearings happen, how floor action happens, how debate happens on bills. And the rules generally are not controversial. There is an amendment proposed, however, by the majority leader. So it's not just a one-off amendment. This is by the majority leader of the House that would change the longstanding practice in the House, which called uh, ending the debate or, or calling the motion. This is basically how... The, the process wraps up as far as floor debate, where they're not going to allow any more comment. Same thing in committees. And as far as I can tell, and I was able to find it all the way back to 1993 in the House rules, this has consistently been in the rules saying that if you're going to call the motion, if you're going to end debate on a bill, it requires a two-thirds vote because it's, it's there to kind of protect the minority so they can at least have their voice heard before whatever vote happens on, on a policy. And the amendment that is potentially going to be debated here any moment on the House floor, and I can guarantee you there will be fireworks if this is proposed, would be to remove that two-thirds requirement to allow the debate to end with a simple majority vote, which means at any given time, the majority party can just say, we're done talking about this bill, we're going to vote on it now, 
and silence the minority voices. Well, that's democracy. It was a surprising amendment to see, and especially, again, this has not been a controversial practice. You know, the, the majority's got the votes. You, you kind of know when you bring a floor, a bill to the floor what the final outcome's going to be. But part of the democratic process is you, you hear the, the voices, you hear from the people's representatives, and you at least allow people to express themselves. And apparently this may no longer be the case if this amendment hangs. And like I said, they're, they're in caucus. They've been in caucus now for over an hour. So we'll just have to see what happens when they come out. Obviously, this is something that, and the sponsor of the bill was Representative Sullivan, correct? The sponsor of the amendment was Representative Sullivan, correct? Yeah, so the, the amendments, it's uh, 4602, and he's the sponsor of the of the rules as the majority leader. And again, the rules are not generally controversial, and, and then the rule as proposed reflects the rules of these, as they've been, having that requirement. But he does have an amendment to remove that two-thirds requirement and allow debate to end with a simple majority. It just seems like... I don't want to go back to the cliché term of cancel culture, but this certainly seems like we don't want to discuss. We just want to run through. We don't want the public to hear the bad things. We just want to run these things through as fast as possible so the public doesn't know what we're doing, and then eventually they'll find out when they get hit with the taxes. Well, you know, at the end of this caucus meeting, they may decide this they don't want to go this road. So it's this is not a done deal, but this is what has been proposed. This is what they are debating behind closed doors right now. And when they do come out of their caucus meeting, and it is kind of irritating that these caucuses are behind closed doors because we don't allow city councils to do that. We don't allow county commissioners to do that. We don't allow school boards to go behind closed doors to discuss how they're going to vote on things. But for some reason, the legislature gets to be special in this. That's kind of a side type agent. But when they come out, we'll see if they actually move forward with this effort and if they pass it. Let me ask you this. What do you think the response will be? Um, I mean, I can't imagine now, granted, we know that we know that the the, the Democrats are very uh, you don't hear a lot of dissent from Democrats. Uh, when it comes to bills or certain things they don't disagree with. And I wouldn't exactly expect that you would hear a lot of dissent regarding this, but I can imagine if they've been in caucus for over an hour, there are Democrats that don't want to go down this road because of the precedent it could set. Well, it looks like they are just about to come out, so I don't want to have any competition with our interview here, but uh, pretty soon we'll get to see what happens on TVW. But there was another interesting thing that happened this week after a caucus. This had to do with one of the bills the Senate passed on the unemployment insurance tax deferral. There was actually an amendment by Senator Braun, who was the minority leader in the Senate, that would change the increase in the benefit provided. And that amendment actually passed. And you can see there was some surprise to it passing because the, the floor leader in the Senate immediately moved to defer action on the bill. So the Republicans hang an amendment. The Democratic floor leader says, we're going to stop action on this bill. They go to a caucus, and miraculously, they come out of caucus, and they move for a motion for reconsideration, and that amendment is now rejected. It's kind of funny how that works behind closed doors. Well, and that and that certainly, you know, uh, what who's who's is it? The New York Times, or the Washington Post, whose uh, tagline is "Democracy dies in darkness." 
think that's the Times, but uh, don't quote me on it. Yeah, that. it might be the Times. It's one of those two. It's the Times of the Post. But but isn't that really what just happened there? Democracy died in darkness? Well, again, this is why I, if I had uh, my way, the legislature would play by the same rules as everybody else. You wouldn't go into caucus when they have executive sessions on how to pass amendments or pass bills in committee. You wouldn't do it on the floor of the House and the Senate when they're passing bills. You have to remember, our government does not belong to the Republican or the Democratic parties. It belongs to the people. And these are the people's representatives, not the party's representatives. So I, I would prefer to see all action the legislature takes be conducted transparently and in public view. You know, Jason, I don't think you could sum it up any better than what you said, that our government doesn't belong to the parties, but yet for so long it's acted in that regard, that there is this belief that the government is controlled by the parties and the people just deal with what is decided. And, you know, this is what we've seen over the last couple of years are prime examples as to why I think people need to be more aware of what is going on, be more aware of the things that are happening that are not getting public hearings, that you're not being given the opportunity at 3.30 in the morning to vote on a bill that doesn't have anything on it that's a blank piece of paper that's going to raise your taxes. Um, You know, these are things that are not, this isn't part of the bargain. This isn't what the Washington State Constitution was meant to resemble or meant to represent. Am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. We have too much at the state, local, and federal level of this. The ends justify the means, right? The governor says, my emergency orders, the lives we've saved, that justifies what I've done. The legislature using a title-only bill, having these late floor debates, passing through a policy. The policy we passed justifies what was done. No, process matters. If process doesn't matter, why do we bother with any of this open government stuff? Why do we bother with any of this accountability stuff? But we do because it's an important transparency, accountability, public involvement. These are the bedrock foundations of our constitutional and Republican form of government. And it, we just got to stop getting out of this mindset that process doesn't matter. We're talking with Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center here on the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA. We're going to take our first time out, come back and talk quite a bit more with Jason. There's a lot going on this week, a number of things out in front. And uh, yes, it's that dirty little three letter T word that we, we really have grown to despise in Washington State, which is why we may joke about Idaho, but really there's a lot of people that aren't joking about Idaho anymore. The Washington is actually seeing um, a large amount of people leaving the state, even without a state income tax. The bottom line, the only place that cares what you think. Call in now, 509-547-1610. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A's Friday afternoon. Rob Francis here, joined by Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center. For our weekly Friday visit during the state legislative session, and Jason, you know, we've we've discussed a lot about um, the governor's emergency powers, about trying to move the um, the state forward, 
Um, you know, we did share some of the audio yesterday from that Senate hearing where Senator Hunt was flustered. And then, oh, yeah, they went into went into caucus and came back and just decided to end that committee hearing after the attempt to uh, move Senate bill, um, I believe it was 5114 forward. That's correct. 5114 forward to reopen it to get everybody into phase two. Um so there, there's there's no desire to move on that, no desire to challenge the governor's th- authority with his emergency powers. But we find time to make the Succasaurus the uh, new state dinosaur. And, yes, it's appropriately named because right now the legislature is the first part of that dinosaur's name. Um, the state dinosaur, um, you know, I guess we're going to find other things to do like Oh, anything other than deal with the governor's emergency powers and move the state forward economically. Yeah, you know, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping to see an amendment on the dinosaur bill to name it the Taxosaurus. Ah, that would be great. In honor of all the tax bills that we are seeing this session, but uh, that was not uh, proposed. Yet. So, as you mentioned, there were a few bills that were high on my list coming out of this nine months of living under emergency restrictions with no legislative involvement. And that was the proposals, bipartisan proposals in both the House and the Senate to put some common sense restrictions on the governor's emergency powers, restrictions that exist in other states like Minnesota and Wisconsin, that after a set amount of time, the executive branch actually has to return back to the legislative branch, the branch actually charged with setting policy underneath the Constitution for approval for its actions. Those bills, it's House Bill 1020 in the House and House Senate Bill 5039 in the Senate, they have not been given a public hearing. They haven't even been scheduled for a public hearing with cutoff coming up here in a, a week and a half on February 15th. Now, That bill in the House, House Bill 1020, the bipartisan bill on emergency powers, it has something in common with two other bills that have received a public hearing. The dinosaur bill, which was actually passed by the committee this week, and a bill scheduled for a public hearing next week to remove the Marcus Whitman statute from the U.S. Capitol and replace it with a different statute. All three of those bills were referred to the same committee. So you can't tell me that committee didn't have time to consider the emergency powers if it's hearing those other bills. Wow. You know, and I will note, as you started talking about what happened with Senate Bill 5114, again, a bipartisan bill to put the state, the entire state, and for those of us now very happy for our neighbors in Seattle who are restoring some normalcy, while those of us in eastern Washington are waiting for the per- permission to reopen some of our businesses, this bill would have put the entire state into phase two of reopening. It did get a public hearing, but notoriously rough public hearing where people were muted mid-sentence, have a lot of problems with not being able to testify. But that bill has not been scheduled for what they call executive session. That was the effort in that committee by the Republicans, a procedural move to have the committee vote on the bill. As you mentioned, after that was proposed, the the chair adjourned the hearing. There was a second effort on the Senate floor, what they call a ninth order, where the Republicans tried to bring the bill to the floor so they couldn't get the committee to act on the bill. And again, that effort was rejected. 
So it's pretty clear with what we are seeing on those bills that there is not an appetite to provide some type of legislative check on what the governor's doing. In the meantime, we're having discussions in Olympia about removing the Marcus Whitman statue at the Rotunda. And I guess I guess I've got some confusion here, Jason, because correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of history, at least what I believe history to be true, is that Marcus Whitman, his family and those that were part of the Whitman mission, their goal was actually to help people, um, you know, to help uh, administer and to to those that to the natives that lived in the area. Um, that they were, they were by all accounts, selfless people and they've been coming under fire for the better part of the last decade. Why? You know, to be honest, uh, Rob, this is not an issue I have looked into. Unfortunately, being a, a former Californian and not as versed in Washington history as you are, but whether on this bill, whether on the dinosaur bill, it's fine. You propose it, you have a public hearing. I don't have an issue with that. My issue is I know we are going to roll past committee cutoff, and then we're going to be told there just wasn't time to hear a bill that I think just a handful of Washingtonians would be concerned about, about having a legislative check on the governor's emergency powers. We just couldn't find time to hold a public hearing on that. You know, it, 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 I understand that there's – you know, look, everywhere has clicks. We, we, we know that there's, you know, there are certain things that are there, but are there really that many people now in Olympia? Have there really been that many moderate Democrats voted out of office that, or, or is it just, there is a group that is, that is basically strong arming the rest of this and making sure that as we sit here on the anniversary of, 11 months of being in a state of emergency in Washington state based on the executive order signed by the governor or the declaration of the state of emergency 11 months ago today, that they are that intent on shielding and protecting the power of the governor from the best interests of the people. And when I say best interest, I don't mean you necessarily go whole hog, but you at least give people the opportunity to live while putting certain precautions in place. It's that common sense aspect that we've discussed. I don't know how many times, right? Well, so go back to yesterday's press conference. Now, first of all, did the science change in the last two weeks or even in the week? It was just with the governor's last press conference and no interest in, in changing uh, in the uh, metrics, right? And I guess we can talk a little bit more about this uh, coming back out. Oh, we will. Trust me, because there there are many that are looking at the governor's decision yesterday, and I'll be the first one to say all we did was see even more proof that he is simply a shill for the west side of the state. And you, you, you change these rules and announce all of a sudden that the west and the Puget Sound are going into two, and nobody else can do that when the week before, under those same metrics, this area would have been forward. But hey, you know, I guess now that it goes to a two-week period of time, well, now we'll see what happens. Again, it's constantly changing, 
and nobody finds out until the last minute. More of the bottom line after this. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom lines page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610-KONA. Bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. Happy Friday afternoon. It is the final one in the month of January. Yeah, the first month of 2021 is practically in the books. And uh, as we mentioned earlier with our good friend Jason Mercier from the Washington Policy Center, who joins us, that it is the 11-month anniversary that Governor Inslee put us into a state of emergency in Washington State. And, um, you know, Jason, as we as we look at this and, and you know, as we were going to break, we were talking about the once again remodified, modified, modified changes into whatever we want to call the plan now. It was stay home, stay healthy, uh, safe start, now roadmap to recovery, whatever another cliche name that the that the service they're paying hundred thousand dollars. It's hundred thousand a month, isn't it? I you know, I, I'm not positive, Rob. But it's a lot of money they're paying this this consulting service to tell them how to uh, how to message all this, um, and um, you know we're now seeing two on the west side move forward while we're stuck over here on the east side and the rest of the state not moving forward into a simple phase two where people can you know get their businesses open and um, rebuild you know help put their lives back in order. Um, but as we we're going to break, Jason, you were, you were discussing this, this, this newfound move and, and some elements you found interesting. Yeah. So again, as you mentioned, this is the new, 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 new reopening plan, all based on science, but trust us, these, this is the new criteria. And I guess the question that I have is the governor even acknowledging that it's not the businesses. That, that's not the problem. The problem is in, in people and their personal gatherings and home things. So in allowing the Puget Sound businesses to open up, is he going to prevent those of us from the Tri-Cities who are in the Puget Sound from going to a restaurant, from going to a bowling alley, from going, and from going to one of these newly reopened businesses, right? Is the business safe or not? Are they following the safety criteria or not? And if the issue isn't the business, then why can't that same policy and, and process be put in place across the state? If the businesses are doing things right, then don't penalize them. And the governor kind of got halfway to this point earlier in his press conference this week on the on the teachers, where he said that, you, you know, there is risk in life. You take risk every time you step out of your living room. But we are going to provide a, a framework and safety procedures to mitigate that risk. And we just need to extend what we are asking teachers, what we are asking schools, what we are now allowing these Western Washington businesses do statewide to everybody else. You know, we, we look around us <clears throat> and we know why California is doing what they're doing. Okay. Cause there are enough signatures to recall governor Newsom. Um, so, so we know, um, we know why he is opening up the state. Um, but what I guess I can't understand 
and where I'm getting lost in this is we are seeing more and more data and more and more information coming out. Now, granted, you can manipulate data any way you want. You know that as well as I do. You can take numbers. You can make them meet what your what you want your argument to be because you can cherry pick different data and do that. But we're seeing reports that it's more risky to go to the supermarket than it is to go to a restaurant. We're then we're seeing on the other hand that it's more risky to go to a restaurant than it is a movie theater. Then we're seeing on the other side it's more risky to go to a movie theater than it is to a grocery store. And then we're seeing that it's more risky to stay in your own house than it is to go out somewhere. So what what are we supposed to believe as we continue to get inundated with people presenting data to back up their their point, their agenda, their train of thought? And yet here we have the governor who continues to change things, but he's basing everything on data and science, which I'm not sure if he's mentioned that as much recently as he was six months ago. I don't hear data and science uh, being regurgitated nearly as much. Are you? Well, the phrase that was used, because he was asked, the, the governor was asked, why are you doing this just a week after telling us that the current plan was perfect and no changes were needed? Why are we able to open up these Western Washington businesses but not the Eastern Washington businesses. And, and the answer wasn't science and data. It was science and reason, right? We have to be rational in what we do. Yes, we have to be rational in what we do. Now let's extend that across the state. At some point in time, maybe we will. But, I mean, what is the likelihood? I mean, now, Jason, they're talking about this variant. And now, depending on who you listen to, this variant's going to kill everybody. Are we are we really being set up for this type of control to continue? And are we looking at and and this really does come back to the whole question of the governor's emergency powers, because if nothing is done about this, this is in perpetuity. This could go on past the legislative session. We could be under the same state of emergency without renewal for 18 months. And this is why I think you have seen the, the my heard my frustration and seen others' frustrations about just not even giving the public hearings, not even allowing the citizens to express their voices on these things, not providing an opportunity for accountability for all lawmakers by doing votes on these bills so we can see who thinks that there's a role for the legislature versus who thinks that the governor should be calling the shots. Again, I go back to the process thing that we talked about a little bit earlier. Let's say every single decision, every policy the governor has imposed for the last nine months is the correct one. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be done, though. It's supposed to be done through the legislative process. So that's, I guess, the concern about not seeing uh, enough folks in the legislature realizing or wanting to protect that institutional role of how policy is set in the state of Washington. At what point in time, and, and I mean this, and, and this is as, as serious a question as I can ask without an answer. I mean, seriously. At what point in time does the Constitution that we know and we hear over and over again, Article One, it's 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 the power of the people, the the power of the government is vested in the people. At what point in time? Do we start to take that seriously as people? And I'm not, and, and people don't get me wrong, I'm not calling for any kind of a revolt or a rebellion, 
But at what point in time do we actually look at the law and look at the Constitution as how it's written and be able to take examples of how it's not working the way it was written for the people in the state of Washington? I mean, as you just mentioned, our Constitution wasted zero time laying out who is in charge. Article 1, Section 1, all political power is inherent in the people, right? We are the sovereigns of the state. The other thing that you need to remember is before the legislature is granted any power, the people reserve the right for themselves to propose and enact laws. That's our right of initiative. So we do have an escape valve. There is something available to the citizens if they feel like the legislature is ignoring them. Now, the question, though, is, as we have seen repeatedly with voter-approved initiatives, how does the court then uh, respond to those? But underneath the constitutional framework, that is how it is supposed to work. That is available to us. And, you know, and since we're talking about the Constitution, another thing I've been scratching my head over here is what's been happening to uh, landlords, right? We have two sections in our Constitution. You cannot impair a contract. You cannot prevent a contract from being executed. It's fairly clearly in the Constitution. We also have a takings provision that if you are going to damage or take private property, the government has to compensate for that. So how, how are these policies impacting the, the landlords and the tenants constitutional? I mean, these are questions that actually are now working their way through the state and federal courts. You know, we know the initiative process. Well, a lot of people believe the initiative process, Jason's broken. Um, that when you, when, you, when you have the attorney general's office that writes the title and they have the ability to write a misleading title for an initiative that will lead to that initiative getting thrown out in the court challenge, you've got a broken process. Um, that, that they have the ability to rig the results as to how they want them to go. That's not a process that, that puts the power in the people's hands. I guess my I guess what I'm wondering is if at some point in time we will get to where people in the state of Washington on both sides of the political spectrum will be able to put their legislature in check when their legislature really doesn't abide by the state constitution and that to me is what happened when they have basically gave the governor in perpetuity these emergency powers, they ceded their authority as a co-equal branch of government, which is against the state constitution. I, I think what we are experiencing at the state and the federal level, I, we just went through this, the federal level, right? There, there is a constitutional framework for how elections are ratified and how power is transitioned. And we had the former president kind of call that into question. We, we have what's happening here with, with these constitutional issues here. It feels like we need to have just a, a massive revival of civic education about why institutions and processes and checks and balances matter. Because too often we seem to be in this camp of it was my team or it was that team or it was my party or it was that party, and that makes it right. And this is just destroying the, the framework of how our, our society and our government is supposed to be working. Uh, maybe I can have some positive news transition since I'm talking about civic education and, and understanding of things. There, there is actually a bill that I never thought would get scheduled for a public hearing that has been scheduled for a public hearing next week that would make a graduation requirement in the state of Washington to learn about the harms inflicted on society from communism. So 
maybe we're starting to get to some of that civic education. Well, we'll touch on that when we come back. Going to take our final time out, hour number one, with Jason Mercier, the Washington Policy Center. And there has been a development in the bill, the amendment that we were talking about a little bit earlier regarding the two-thirds majority. We'll touch on that as well. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back at the bottom line, final few minutes, hour number one. Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center joining us for his weekly Friday visit. And Jason, we'll give a quick update on the um, the rule change, the proposed amendment that would change the rules to a simple majority from a two thirds majority. And basically, they uh, they're going to table that for a little bit. Yeah, apparently that caucus meeting did not go well because that is no longer on the floor. Instead, now they're just now added to the order of consideration. So sometime in the next hour, they'll be voting on House Resolution 4605, which is temporary rules. Unfortunately, this is the current text. Online text not available, still processing. So I'm assuming before they vote on it, they will have the text available. Or they'll have the vote or they'll have the text available as they vote on it. But it is a good thing, at least for now, they are not moving forward with that uh, proposed rule change. Wow. Well, we saved the the worst for last, Jason, because the the word tax is going to be thrown around a lot in the next week. A lot in the next week. Um, what are what are what are some of the taxes that we we know the capital gains, but there's a couple new ones that we're going to get hit with, including child care. Um, that's going to hit businesses, particularly small businesses, pretty hard if it goes through. A um, couple things are going to be payroll taxes. I mean, really, it's just at what point in time do we? At what point in time do Democrats finally admit? Yes, we know. It's a regressive tax system. We're just making it worse for you. Yeah, so these are the taxes that we know of today. We will probably see more. Right? We have the 10.5% payroll tax and capital gains income tax in one bill to provide single-payer health care. That's one proposal. We have the governor's separate proposal for a 9% income tax on capital gains. We have the proposals for a carbon tax. We have the proposals for a low-carbon fuel standard. We have the proposals for the gas tax increase. The vehicle tab increases. Other type of vehicle registration fee increases. We have the new statewide soda tax proposal that just got dropped. We have a wealth tax, a tax so fantastic that France had to run away from it because it was so bad and it repealed it. Well, wait, hang on a second. Let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. So start with the soda tax. Is this similar to Philadelphia, New York, where it's going to be... Like 10% or are we talking more? I can't remember the percentage. I, I will note the, the irony that you mentioned. You were talking about how the whole message this entire session is we have too, too many regressive taxes. Okay, this tax was enacted by Seattle, and this was from the Seattle's analysis of the tax. It didn't stop Seattle, and apparently it hasn't stopped the sponsors in Washington. But the analysis of this tax very clearly says the low income will pay more per beverage than the rich on this tax. It's the definition of a regressive tax. So 
you have to really question how much they care about this if they're proposing taxes on not only income, wealth, jobs, and, but now the low well, income. But but the here's tax they can think of. But Jason, you you look at the gas tax. You you look at the carbon fuels. You know the car, the, the carbon fuel standard that they're basically hiding this under. You look at the soda tax. You look at all these other taxes that they're throwing down, and 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 it is the low income bracket that's going to get impacted the most, and they don't care because they continue to go back to this well to pound low-income people. We have things that we need to do on our tax code. It's not perfect. From a standpoint of stability and predictability for the budget, we're doing pretty good, and that keeps getting acknowledged in our credit rate. That being said, though, they finally need to prioritize now, they continually spend billions of dollars to increase the budget, but they haven't prioritized providing tax relief to those they say they are trying to help. And that working family credit has been on the books since 2008, and it's never been funded in the budget. So you tell me where the priority is. Well, without question. I mean, look, they keep saying over and over again, we want to help these people and benefit these people, so we're going to tax the wealthy, but at the same time, we're going to tax this. There is no offset. There's absolutely no offset. They're making the poorer poor. They're making the poor poorer while they're trying to make the rich poorer. It, how do you how do you wind up helping anybody in that regard? And you know, I just spent about three minutes listing all the taxes that have been proposed. With we know more coming, but you've got to remember the budget is balanced. Revenues are growing, and yet we're still seeing tax after tax after tax proposed. It's just stunning to me. Although I will say, and, and, and believe me, Joe, Jason, I'm not one that defends the governor, but I will say this. There's a lot of people that say the governor broke his initial campaign promise eight years ago that he said he would not sign one tax increase. He was right. He has signed dozens of tax increases. Well, I think he just just won the day there. Yeah. Can't, can't compete with that. He, uh, he signed dozens of tax increases. Dozens. And he's going to continue going. If there's a tax passed, he will sign it. And I don't really see where there is a concern anywhere. I I, I just don't. I I don't. They're gonna. They are going to make it non-business friendly, and they're going to make it non-resident friendly. Jason, people are going to leave, and businesses are going to leave. And then what do you do? Who do you tax? I mean, California is getting perilously close to this now. Who's left to tax? Oh, but, you know, we, we've been consistently told that taxes don't matter, which is why you are seeing all of the Democrats in Congress right now trying to repeal the state and local tax deduction to stop all of their residents from moving out of New York and California. Yeah, it does. They do matter. They matter a lot. They matter a lot. And, of course, we'll be paying attention over the course of the next week, as will you, Jason, to what goes on in the legislative session. How many of these bills that we have discussed today and these increases are going to wind up hitting committee and floor. And uh, we will discuss and break them down next Friday. You have a great weekend, sir. And uh, I'm sure you'll be watching the trade wires to see if uh, Mr. Watson becomes a 49er or not. Well, I I don't think it's going to happen because he doesn't want to pay an income tax, which is why he wants to go to the Dolphins. Yeah. Well, didn't they just use a first-round pick last year from a quarterback? Might not be the might, might not be the, the 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 place for him, but you never know. It'll be interesting to see. But at least that's going to be a little bit more enjoyable than watching the taxes per, uh, 
the tax carousel go around in Olympia. Jason Mercier, always a pleasure. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next Friday. All right, thank you.